Welcome to Mix Understood, where we explore identity, the meaning of the word race, and talk about the multicultural and multiracial experience with stories from our own lives. I'm Hannah Lee. And I'm Amy. And in today's episode, we're finishing our mixed actors in the entertainment industry series by talking about some of our own stories and anecdotes, given that we're both mixed and also actors. Yeah, we've been promising that we were going to do this for quite a long time, and now here we are. (laughs) Having to deliver all these different ranges of an ethnicity when you yourself are still grappling with what that ethnicity is for who you are. And I'm not saying that this is unique to being mixed because, you know, maybe a fully Indian person wouldn't know either, but I, I just felt so much responsibility to get it right. When me and Michael suggested that, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what? I mean, yeah, I'll do it. But And then Tom Cruise was like totally cool with it. And so we just kept rehearsing again. Before we dive into the episode, it's important for us to say that we are here to offer up stories, ideas and various theories for you to consider and decide for yourself in light of your own knowledge and experience. We hope to explore, learn and grow together with you. We're not professing to have the answers. Our aim is to start conversations around these topics. Okay, so like we do with every guest that we've had on, I feel like I want to share some of the things that Hanalee has done in her career. So Hanalee started off as a dancer and she actually studied at the Alvinaley American Dance School in New York. And when I found this out, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Seriously, because I, I actually studied dance at school for A-level and um, we learned about the Alvin Ailey company and like the fact that you've you've studied there was just mind-blowing to me Aww. yeah <laughs> and then okay I'm going to talk about her dance stuff in a bit but acting wise she has appeared in the popular Paramount Plus series Star Trek Picard none other and the CBS American crime drama CSI Vegas she also did the multicam Nickelodeon favorite Danger Force and played a lead in Hallmark's mystery feature, Redemption in Cherry Springs. Um, she is, she honestly, as her friend, she is booking all the time. She really is. And I'm really proud of the things that you've achieved. Oh. <laughs> um, voiceover and motion capture wise, because she also does that. She has played sports agent Natalie Day in the EA NFL video game Madden 24, which was just released this fall. And this week, she also just worked on another video game that will be coming out in the spring. But there's an NDA, so she cannot say any more. She is currently playing a reoccurring role on The Days of Our Lives, which I'm sure you've all heard of. Dance-wise, her... Film and TV credits include Rock of Ages with Tom Cruise. You actually have a story about that, don't you? (laughs) Okay, maybe I shouldn't have opened my mouth. I do. Should I share it? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Hell yes. Oh my gosh. I'm already like blushing. Um, I'm blushing for you. (laughs) It was the first time I was on a really big film set, you know, and Mm. I was flown out 
from New York at, at a moment's notice. I mean, it was like a one day I was auditioning and then the next I was on a plane to Miami and and then landed and was like immediately taken to set. I think because they recast the role I was I was going to do. And okay. so they just needed to to throw me in there. So we're rehearsing one of these musical numbers of the film and and I'm totally starstruck by Tom Cruise and Mia Michaels the choreographer and this idea comes up that when Tom kind of Tom's character passes by me that I just like lunge myself onto him and bite his nipple. <laughs> and I'm loving um, this. I was kind of like when they suggested that when Mia Michaels suggested that I was like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, I'll do it. But and then Tom Cruise was like, totally cool with it. And so we just kept rehearsing again and again and again and again. And I would just like lunge, bite the nipple, you know, and he would keep and and we did this like, I don't even know how many times I, I lost Bit track. Nipple. Yeah. <laughs> he had this like, dragon tattoo or something around his nipple. And um and then when we filmed it, it was the same. We did a bunch of takes. And yeah, and I remember just like calling my family at the end of that day. And they were like, how was it? And I was like, I bit Tom Cruise's nipple a bunch of times. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <gasps> anyway, he was really, really respectful and professional. And mm -hmm. there was nothing was like weird about it. We all understood it's this is a job and... Yeah. We're all in character and everything. I love that. And just to quickly finish that off of the things that Hanley has done, amongst many other things, she's also danced in shows like Lucifer and Glee. Those were fun. I used to love Glee. And she's also in an improv group called Wimbledon, and they perform regularly in LA. I love improv. I love it. It's like adults just playing games. It's so fun. You know, and, and the stupider the game, the better. <laughs> You can just let yourself just just be the, the silly version of you. Exactly. Um, well, I think I should introduce you as well. What do you say? God. Okay. Can I just sink down in my chair? I get really embarrassed. <laughs> I know. Well, first of all, you're in Skater Girl. You play the lead in this Netflix film that was like running, I think it was like top 10 or something at one point. I remember turning on my screen and it was, there it was, Skater Girl. And I was like, Amy, um, very proud. Do you remember when I came round to your house when yes. the Netflix sent the bottle of champagne? I basically drank the entire bottle to myself. Exactly because I just don't do really well on alcohol. And Amy came over thinking we're gonna have a you know great girly time and, and drink this bottle of champagne courtesy of Netflix together. And I drank about a shot worth of champagne. <laughs> Amy, yeah. <laughs> I po polished off the rest. <laughs> okay, let's keep going here. Pretty Problems is an amazing film you were in as well. It's on Hulu at the moment. Amy, you also played in Hollyoaks. You were a series regular on there for a few years, which is so awesome. That's also where you met Madge, which we had here uh, a few episodes ago. Yeah. Amy played a lead role in the critically acclaimed female-centric feature, Angry Indian Goddesses, which won the BNL People's Choice Award at Rome International Film Festival. 
and was also first runner-up at the People's Choice Award at Toronto International Film Festival. That's a really big deal. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it was just so amazing at the time for this little indie film that we did to be recognised in that huge way that we were all just... We were and we are so passionate about that project, even still, you know, years later. It's one of the projects that's, like, in my heart and will be forever. Mm. I've seen a few scenes from there and I, I thought you killed it. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> so while Amy was working in India, she was there for a few years, she also became the brand ambassador for LACME, India's top makeup and skincare brand, which led to her working with the country's top photographers, TV commercial directors, fashion designers on, you know, a bunch of high budget oh TV God. and magazine campaigns. I'm literally cringing in my seat right now. Okay, <laughs> stop. Let's just stop this. Make it stop. No. We're going to keep going a little no. bit further. Wait, now I feel bad that I wasn't cringing as much when you were talking about me. I was just smiling. I was just like, yeah, yeah. Tell them what else I've done. <laughs> um, so basically, that prompted a slew of other opportunities, such as acting with the likes of Akshay Kumar in national TV commercials and also starring in films. You can actually catch one of these on Amazon Primes, where she plays another female lead in the award-winning comedy. You're going to have to come in here and say the name, <laughs> the title of this. Well, let's hope I get it right. Ngorianu Dafakuro. Wow, that is called. not what I was going to read out. <laughs> what were you going to read out? I think let's just leave it to the imagination of the listeners. So shall we go back to the beginning, some of our first jobs and what happened there? Yeah. Okay, over to you. Over to me. Okay, so... One of the first modeling jobs I had was um, I just signed with this like agency that actually ended up being a fraud agency. I'm pretty oh. sure like they folded over. Yeah. But they did get me two jobs, which were both kind of disasters. So the first one is I get a call. They're like, we have a job for you. It's in Tel Aviv. Just get to this location. I get there. There's just a photographer and his assistant. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm young. I'm a teen. I'm just clueless. And they proceed to give me like a pot, like this big cooking pot and take a few pictures of me with it. And it was like, that's it. And what were you, you know, doing? Just like smiling with the pot? Just smiling with this pot on a rooftop. Like a pan, and, like a saucepan. No, like a like a soup pot, a big pot okay. that you would make a big stew in or okay. something like that. <laughs> like just you and your pot are smiling okay and um then I don't know how much long later later some kids in my school were like hey I think I saw you on this big billboard on the highway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and I was like me no no it can't be what was it and they were like it's you holding this big pot and it's like a advertisement for like a Japanese cooking style pot. And it says something like, make rice the way the Asians do or the way the Japanese do. And I was I was like, it's not me. It can't be me. I totally denied it. And then one day when we were in the car driving to Tel Aviv, I did 
we did kind of slow down and I saw it and it was that. And I just remember feeling like, I think I couldn't pinpoint what I was feeling, but I felt this sort of like feelings of shame and embarrassment Mm -hmm. and confusion, honestly, because I think now looking back, I'm realizing that was the first time I was experiencing like how I am perceived mm-hmm. by the industry. And and I was like, oh, mm. it, it was just a print ad, but it felt kind of this like stereotypical idea of how they see like yeah. Asians making rice. And, you know, I don't I don't know. It, it was just um, it was kind of weird. And yeah. and I was just like, God, I hope this big giant billboard I think that's the only time I've been on a giant billboard (laughs) (laughs) but it's crazy that number one that wasn't explained to you because honestly I've had my fair share of just turning up to shoots and that also happening it's just like click 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 the job's done you've got no idea what it's really for especially you know when we first started excited to Mm -hmm. be modeling and stuff like that you know it wasn't explained to you and then to deal with those complicated internal feelings about your identity and how you're perceived suddenly. Yeah, I mean, they they basically, they made me fully Japanese and I mm. was just like, wait, that's not me. I'm not, I mean, I am that as well, but that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a mixture of all these things and none of that was coming across. It was just like black and white. Yeah. Now you're like, yeah. So that was the first one and then, No, that actually, I'm sorry, that wasn't the first one. That was the second job. The first job was they wanted me to pose as a mannequin in a store downtown Jerusalem. And the store had two stories. And so we were on the second floor, um, me and another girl who happened to be, I think, Russian. But she was the only other girl they could find that kind of looked Asian. Mm-hmm. And we were to be like these kind of mannequin twins. They did our really long black eyeliner, kind of, you know, accentuated that Asian look. And the mm-hmm. clothing store that we they were going to do this photo shoot for was um, for like clothes from India and the East, you know. And so we were going to be standing on the second floor in the in the windowsill there posing as these mannequins. And the photographer was outside on the street taking pictures of us and suddenly there was this like chiffon curtain behind us and we were lit up and suddenly I smelt this like smoke coming and immediately saw that the chiffon had caught on fire from the strong you know light it looked almost like a movie effect because that fire spread so quick because the second floor was full of like rows of clothes It was like a storage, the second floor. So it was packed with these just rows and rows and rows of clothes. And I just saw like this line of clothes just catch fire immediately. And I don't know why, but I started screaming like, my, 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 which means water in Hebrew. Yeah. As I'm trying to like run out of there. And I get to like the staircase to get downstairs. and, And I met with the owner of the store who had just run up and she's holding a glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and meanwhile, the the fire is raging. Yeah, and then I see her, like, go to hand me the glass of water. (laughs) 
And then she pans like slow mo towards the clothes and sees like everything on fire. I will never forget that moment. Then it was like, we need to get out of here because so much smoke. It was like, you're starting to cough. It's bad. So we both ran down the stairs and, and out the store and just like coughing. And it was, it was awful. And, and very quickly, I mean, I don't, it was super fast, but the firemen were there. Mm. And then I just remember being like, okay, well, I guess this job is over. <laughs> Am I wrapped? Excuse me, am I wrapped? I just kind of said goodbye to the <laughs> photographer and the other Russian, Asian-looking model now and uh, took the bus home. <laughs> and <laughs> my mom was like, so, how was your first job? And I was like, the store burnt down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What is it about first jobs? Okay, that is hilarious, but also really scary. We got out of there. You know, it wasn't like uh, yeah. we were blocked and the, you know, it was, it was, it just sucked. I, I felt so bad for all these clothes. And did you feel like you saw the cogs ticking of when she brought up the glass of water to what was? Oh my gosh. It was comical. It was like, yeah, I don't know why I was yelling water. That was already kind of a weird thing to yell. I should have been yelling fire or yeah, but just I mean... not yelling, just get the heck out of there. But, but I think that is at least a good reaction for someone to come with some water. It's just that she didn't quite understand what was going on. Um, Terrible. I've just had so many thoughts as you were just talking then. My first job, this isn't to do with being mixed, but it just so happens that also there was something that happened where I, I burst out into tears. I basically was modelling for... Um, I don't actually want to say what their names are because they didn't, they apparently went bankrupt and didn't pay their models. It was an Asian magazine and I was shooting for them. I was so excited and I was in the middle of a field and um, they were like, okay, now just lie down on the grass. So I was like, yep, lie down on the grass. And then I just felt this massive sting on my bum because <gasps> I had sat on a bee and I was just, my eyes just welled up and I just could not stop the tears because it just hurt so much. Um, yeah, so that was my first experience. And I also remember but my mum... But you kept modelling? Uh, yeah, I did. I kept modelling. You kept giving them, like, poses and stuff? <laughs> you have, like, a bee sting in your butt? I think we stopped for a bit. And okay. then, you know, <laughs> cleaned up my face a bit and then carried on. But, yeah, <laughs> that was my first, my first job. I also, one of my other jobs, like as far as dancing, was I had multiple jobs, but one of them was that I danced for an Israeli folk dancing company, and we would perform once a week to tourists that would come to Israel and wanted to get a taste of like the local dancing. And so it was like all these like different traditional style dances, like the Yemenite dance and different Hora dances and full on traditional costume. And that was kind of funny because it was like a bunch of like, <laughs> you know, Israelis and then this like Asian girl doing the Yemenite dance, like full on. And um, my dad actually was a tour guide. And so he used to bring his Japanese groups. We used to perform at the YMCA and 
he was always so proud. <laughs> it's like, that's my girl. She's like, she's doing it, you know, she's doing her thing. And years later, when I moved to New York, I booked a gig as someone doing the Yemenite dance and was again in like full Yemenite garb. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was one thing. And then another one was I used to dance in weddings. I used to be that person, that hype person that gets everybody on the dance floor. And when like the traditional, you know, hora or some other like, you know, Moroccan circle dance would start, I would lead it. And I always remember these like perplexed Israelis like, you know, this dance, you know, the moves. And I'm like, yeah, follow me, baby. And and they were just like, they they were so confused, you know. And then I would come up to all the old ladies and like give them some like, you know, belly dancing vibe. And they were just like, who is this girl? Um, it was always really uh, entertaining. Yeah. It's just so amazing that you have all these things inside you and, you know, this multiculture that bursts out of you like that. I remember one of my not first jobs, but something that sticks out to me about being mixed and looking, I guess, ambiguous is I did a job for an, talking about random jobs, I did a job for an asthma company whereby I had to portray a Muslim woman wearing a hijab and I had to bounce up and down on a trampoline um, doing all these like, I'm so energetic <laughs> I'm living life, kind of. Like leaping into life. Yeah, exactly, leaping up in the air. And this is this is in London. As I was getting ready, the stylists, they were kind of a bit confused with how this hijab went on. And they said to me, is this right? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But I don't know whether that came from them just sort of being insecure and just they would have asked anybody yeah I don't know a few things like that have happened to me <laughs> a lot of times back then I would be or my agencies would be putting me up for roles of different backgrounds for for these modeling jobs like one for example was I had to play I had to represent a woman from Tehran and wear a hijab um I think it was for some sort of shopping center I, I had many many random jobs and when I, when I finally finished university, I started going for what I really wanted to do, which was dancing and acting in commercials and stuff. And one of my first dance jobs, actually, was um, <laughs> dancing in a Bollywood film. And Oh, can you just, can I just stop you there and tell you that's like one of my dreams? <laughs> really? Isn't that everyone's dream to be in a Bollywood film? You know, it is the glitz and glamour that you think it is, honestly. The film sets are beyond. And, you know, they only, you know how like a, a dancer, you um, choreograph in terms of eights. So they would film like two sets of eights and then stop. So eight counts, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. So you would film only two counts of eights at a time? At a time. So it, wow. took, for, it took forever. So we would go there and we would be there for a whole week shooting one song. Also, wow. the Bollywood stars do not know the dance before they get onto set. What? I know this really shocked me as well. So they're literally learning it in front of everybody, but they are like the Bollywood biggies that they are treated like they're on a pedestal. They're gods. And yeah, they're gods. I mean, this was my impression. I was 22. I, I had hardly had any experience living in, in um, being in India at all. 
And I just remember just all these thoughts going through my mind, like shock, complete, like, uh, curiosity, fascination of what the hell was going on. I could not believe that these big Bollywood stars didn't know the dance. <laughs> but they look great in the end. Well, they do in the end because it's all about them. Yeah. So that was one of the first things that I did. But I remember being really worried that I was going to get fi- found out that I was actually Indian because everybody else was not Indian. Nobody had a trace of Indianness to them. They were either, you know, m- the majority of them were white. There were a couple, I had a couple of black friends in that dance crew as well. But no, no one was Indian in the slightest. And so I was worried that, first of all, I might not even get the job. Second, they might kick me out. Because in this particular film, they wanted to bring dancers that are like non-Indian yeah, dancers. They, they had all the Indian dancers from Mumbai. Mm. But they flew us all from London because they wanted these foreign dancers to add to the film. Mm. And I was part of the foreign dancers. Wow. And I remember one time I was right at the front dancing next to this big actress called Preeti Zintha. And um, suddenly the assistant choreographer came up to me, like after after we filmed two counts of eight, she came <laughs> up to me and she was like, you know, you need to go to the back now. Like this is your new position. And so I was relegated. A dancer's worst nightmare? Dancer's worst nightmare. I was like, oh, what? And so I, I had to go back a few lines. And then I can't remember exactly how I found out. I think she explained to me because I was sort of friends with the choreographer's assistant. She said, you know, Preeti didn't want you there next to her. And so, yeah. And so I I felt conscious that I I was being found out. (laughs) Or you were just too pretty. (laughs) You may have been too good. I don't know. You never know exactly what it was. I don't know. It felt really... (laughs) It felt really bad anyway, <laughs> whatever it was. What if they'd come up to you and then like in Hindi said to you, go to the back. <laughs> that would have been the test. If she understands, then she's definitely been found out. But you know what? I wouldn't have understood then. Literally the only thing I could say was um, namaste. That was it. Oh, namaste. I can say that too. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's all you knew. Yeah. Yeah, it was awful. Wow. So that that was my way into Mumbai. So you come in, you really, at that point, I mean, you're technically Indian, but you still haven't really claimed your Indian side. And that's like the beginning of you starting to go in that direction. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, being being over there, they especially at the time, they really loved light skin and Indian features. And it went in in my favor that I was getting um, quite a lot of work and it was giving me a lot of confidence actually. I think I got a lot of confidence just from being there and living there and a lot of opportunities that wouldn't have necessarily happened if I had stayed in England. Um, But there were some episodes where I felt again insecure about being mixed. Like for example, you know how I have these freckles on the right side of my face they're gorgeous. Oh, thank you. But some makeup artists, like I remember one particular makeup artist said, oh, is that mascara that you've dropped on your face? And then she realized that, no, <laughs> that's my freckles. And I just remember feeling like just really, um, what's the word, 
I just wanted to go in, cave in on myself. Mm. She was like, who is this freckled Indian girl? Yeah, or I'd get quite defiant and I'd be like, I'm half Scottish. (laughs) 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 That's what happens. Um, But then I then started to endorse um, LACME, which was the most amazing experience ever um, because I I just got to learn loads in a very short amount of time. It's when I first realised that I wanted to become an actor. But there was a time where I had to endorse a skin lightening product and I know we talked about skin lightening a couple of episodes ago with talking about Merle Oberon and at the time again because I was young and I just didn't really think that much about things I was just like oh yeah I'll do that that's fine and then it was only afterwards I think it was my my mussy my auntie who brought to my attention that I'm endorsing a skin lightening product but they're not they're not advertising that my father is actually British. He's white. Mm. And so I felt like in a way I was contributing to that message in India that maybe lighter skin is better, seen as the yeah. desired thing. Mm. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's really terrible how um, that is the messaging over there. And I mean, there's even a cream called Fair and Lovely. That's literally what it's called. And that's also, that's endorsed by um, big Bollywood stars. The likes of Shah Rukh Khan, I think, have um, endorsed that one. Mm. So I've, I have felt a lot of feelings about doing that. And I, it's something that I regret a little bit. Like if I could go back in time, I would say I don't want to do that. I don't agree with it. Yeah. I understand how you were oblivious to that. And then once you realize, yeah, it feels a little bit dirty and and there's this guilt around it. Yeah. And I think maybe it's part of getting older as well to suddenly discover your own opinions and your own thoughts about things and what you really deep down think and what your morals are. Yes. Because initially it's just like, pick me, pick me. I can do it. Mm. I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. And then it, it starts to grow into like, wait a second. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Yes. How do I feel about this? Am I willing to stand my ground and say these are the boundaries, these are the limits? Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. And just going back to last week's episode with Lena Horn and Freddie Washington, I just feel so inspired by them that they they did do that. Yeah. And you know, it, it moves me to um, to to hear about people who use their voice to try and change things. I feel like there's been so many great things about being mixed and working between England and then India. And one of them was getting to do a Punjabi film, which never in my wildest dreams would I have thought would happen when I was a teenager. But you know, getting to go to Punjab and experiencing life over there. And we shot in a, we shot in a Haveli in in a village. And it was just so wonderful to feel that village life of where my mom grew up, because she also grew up in a village called Mogga in Punjab. Really? Yeah. So, you know, that work opportunity just really um, allowed me to understand more about 
where one side of my family comes from and just to imagine what life was like because you know my mum was over there until she was eight years old so that, that's what I really love about our job being able to travel and discover about the world as well as do something that you really love and then with doing a Punjabi film I then had to learn the Punjabi language and yes knowing Hindi to some respect did help me slightly but also it is a completely different language by itself so I was like a child learning it by rote just trying to grab the sounds I mean I did have some idea of the sentence structure and what word meant what kind of thing but you know it was still really really hard and I had to spend hours and hours just going through it really fast in my mind like sounds Mm -hmm. so that it was there for me to then like put the emotion on top of oh my god <laughs> and then in the end I, I was dubbed which was re really <laughs> gutting really really gutting wow I mean I've yet to book something where I'm speaking Japanese there was an audition for I think for Godzilla like a mm -hmm. series or something and it was a big role and the character was mixed or at least was of Japanese descent, but uh, raised in the States or something like that. So I was like, okay, I can do this. And then the character also had to speak some Japanese. And I called my friend, Mommy, who is Japanese American. And I was like, I need you to tell me how to pronounce these things. And she would like record herself, send me mm -hmm. a voice memo. And I'd just be like you, like grabbing at the sounds. And it was so hard because you're trying to focus on the acting and, and the character. And then you have this whole other task on top of it. At least with auditions, it's like the turnaround is really quick. And in the middle of this quick turnaround, I'm having like an identity crisis of like, but I'm not Japanese. I'm not I'm not a real Japanese or like all of my insecurities around being Japanese suddenly come up. And I have yes. to keep putting it on the shelf and saying, that's not the time right now to have an identity crisis. Just focus on the audition. Do the best job you can. Mm -hmm. You know, and also in the slate at the top of the audition, when you sort of say your name and introduce who you are and your height and all these things, you, they ask you to answer the question, like, can you speak Japanese? And, you know, I'm always like, well, I, I can say a few words. And, and when I'm saying that immediately also, I feel insecure and I feel kind of like a failure that I don't, that I grew up with a Japanese dad and I don't speak Japanese. It's like a failure on my part, you know? Oh, I felt that too. I felt like it was my fault that I didn't know Punjabi and that I should have, I should have learned it as a child. Yeah. And it's not that it's our fault, but it is in our hands. I can learn Japanese now. I also had an audition where they wanted an Asian woman with an Aussie accent. I've actually had a few auditions where they want someone Asian with an Aussie accent mm -hmm. and also with a British accent. For some reason, that's like a combo that I see often in some castings. And I've worked with a dialect coach and I can I can hello. do hello. What about me? <laughs> I'm not going to pay my it. friend. <laughs> it was before we it was before we became friends that I had um, I had oh. a few auditions. And so I did a few sessions with a dialect coach and I was like. Matilda, who was here in episode four, I think, she was like, well, here's one where they need someone Asian who has an Aussie accent. And I was like, Matilda, I can't do an Aussie accent. I went went back to the same dialect coach and I just couldn't get it down, um, even though my mom obviously has a slight Aussie accent. Mm. But for some reason, 
my mouth just doesn't get it. <laughs> it doesn't get it. And I remember taping that Aussie, Aussie accent audition in our living room and Matthias happened to walk by and he was a little bit horrified. <laughs> he was like, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> and he just kind of looked me in the eye and like in the most loving way was like, as your husband, as someone who loves and supports you, it's my duty to tell you that like, this is bad. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you should submit this because it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not happening. Oh my god! It was torture. And so it was, again, like all of those insecurities around my identity was just like, well, I mean, obviously I can't do an Aussie accent. I didn't grow up there, but I am Australian Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. What does that mean that I am Australian? What does that mean if I didn't live there? It's so, Yeah. I know that it just brings up so many feelings, doesn't it? As well as that desperation to like to get it and that belief that you could get it. Especially now I'm getting like a lot of voiceover auditions where they want someone that is Asian to also do like an accent. And I initially felt uncomfortable with that because I was like, what am I doing? Now I'm doing like a Japanese accent. That is so weird. I don't even speak the language that I'm doing this accent. But I could kind of emulate a little bit of my father. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I started, like, lately I got an audition. It was a voiceover audition for a period piece, a Japanese period piece, which was, like, so exciting for me because my dad used to always watch these, like, Japanese soaps that were, like, period dramas. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my dad would have been so proud to see me in one of these things but it it was a dubbing voiceover job and then the instructions from the casting directors were we want a light accent and I was like what is a light accent lighter than I was already doing it's just again like so challenging to be having to deliver all these different ranges of an ethnicity when you yourself are still grappling with what that ethnicity is for who you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I remember being in India and auditioning for stuff over there and they would say, we want a neutral accent. And and still that term confuses what me. What is I'm that, like, a neutral what accent? What do you mean? But they, <laughs> <laughs> they would mean dull your London accent down <laughs> Okay, and kind of have that little bit of an Indian twang, which a lot of the actresses who aren't from India have over there. And I was trying to adopt that. I was trying to do it. And and again, I was just trying to like become someone else. Uh, so I, I was told that to try and become more Indian. Like my my agent, when I first signed with them, when I said that I wanted to do Bollywood films and be a Bollywood actress, she was like, I don't see a Bollywood actress in front of me. Oh, I was like, what? oh, okay. But then I did actually get a a Bollywood film about three months later and she texted me and I remember she said, I always knew that you would get something. (laughs) (laughs) That was my first experience of realising how fickle the industry really is. (laughs) But it was funny being there because... The way I was and the way I conducted myself in the UK wasn't necessarily working in my favour and wasn't kind of, people tried to drum it out of me. Like I remember one of the producers that I worked for when I was doing this presenting show saying to me, you can't go out of your house like Amy Winehouse, like the way that you do your makeup and 
and basically th- they thought I was scruffy, I think, in oh. terms of my style. <laughs> I know. I thought Amy Whitehouse was kind of done up. She had that huge hair and long eyeliner. Well, it depends at what time in her career. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wasn't following, obviously, the later stuff. But, like, they just still, they wanted me to be very glamorous, Mm. which was the the way to be over there. And it was tough being told that and being in my early 20s and feeling pressure to have to do that and to not be myself, not express myself in that way. Is that where your glam comes from? Because you do have definitely a glamorous side to you. You, You're like combo glam scruff. (laughs) (laughs) I like that description. Thank you. Um, You know, it's true. Like you'll wear like a really dainty dress with like Dr. Martens. Yeah. Um, I think my mom dresses in quite a glam way. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that rubbed off on me, but I have no doubt that India did a bit. Like it did definitely shape me in ways that I don't even know. So yeah, maybe. (laughs) You know, um, my first dance job when I moved to LA, because when I moved out here, I was still solely a dancer, was uh, dancing for like this Bollywood dance troupe. Oh my gosh. Did I tell you that? No. (laughs) Where do you think I got all those moves in your wedding? I have no idea. <laughs> I was so impressed that you do, though. I was so ready to be like, let's bring it on. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> it was it was incredible. I was, um, when I did that show, it was like really exciting learning all these different dances and rhythms and stuff. And for some reason, Lord, I don't know why I was selected out of like 30 dancers to be one of three dancers that would do a dance with a pot of rice on their heads, like balancing a pot of rice on our heads. And the other two girls seemed to be really good at it. And for me, it was not a natural match made in heaven at all. And I just, I just remember being on the stage. I was killing it and all the other dance stuff because I'm pretty high energy when I perform. Like I give it my all. I was, I was, I was pleased with my performance. But when that dance came up, it was like each girl had a moment where she had a solo with the rice pot, you know. And when it was my turn to do the solo, my expression on my face changed from like smiling and elegant to just like extreme focus. <laughs> extreme focus and like horror like do not drop this do not drop this and I I just slowed down the moves so much more than what they were supposed to be I was supposed to do actually a turn a whole 360 turn with this rice thing on my head and that turn I've never turned slower in my life anyway I'm traumatized from that dance. But was it literally just rice put on your head or did you have any kind of padding around it for it to stay? No No padding. No padding. It was like a slippery pot of rice. Real rice was in there. I wish we'd like pre-show showed the pot to all the audience. Like, everybody, look, there's real rice in here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That should be on your skills underneath your resume. Resume, I've just said. I don't know why I pronounce it like that. Um, <laughs> You've done a lot with rice pots, haven't you, Hanley? What else have I done? The, your first ever job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I just remembered, because um, we were talking about accents earlier, I did a job, I think last year, and I got to play a role where the character uh, has like this Asian accent and is kind of playing a stereotypical role. But then later in the plot, it turns out that they're actually like a total local American and they were just putting on the accent to create an illusion for the the people in there and around them. I'm kind of being a little bit vague because I don't want to give away the mm -hmm. whole thing and it's it's not officially out yet. But um, mm -hmm. but what was cool about that was that there was zero pressure on me to like get the accent right or, I mean, obviously I could put in the time and work, but I have this sort of like insecurity when it comes to Japanese accent, right? But with this one, I could just go do whatever I want because it didn't matter because the character was making it up anyway. And it was cool because it was one of those situations where it was like, don't judge a book by its cover, you know, within the story as well of, um, you know, here's someone that is appearing to you one way and then actually they're that. But yeah, um, that was fun. Yeah. It also makes me think about when I'm doing improv with my team. <laughs> I do a bunch of characters. They just kind of come out as as we're doing the improv and stuff. And every now and then, like, kind of a Jewish-Israeli character will come out of me. Like, I can't help it, but, you know, I, that's what I grew up around. Like, we had our Jewish grandma and grandpa that sort of took my family in when, when we were in Israel. And we would have, like, Seder with them every year and Rosh Hashanah and, like, or, like, all the neighbors in the building that I grew up in. And sometimes they just kind of come out in my characters but what happens is the audience is a little bit uh, awkward. Yeah, they're a little bit shocked. They're like, what is she doing? They think it's so inappropriate. And it does. It does look inappropriate because why would they know that uh, I was born and raised in Israel and this is kind of like all I knew and saw around me and, and like this is my friends and family that are just coming through me, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And I always have to like pause and then I go, I need to like reel it back in because obviously I'm not going to stop the set and be like, uh, side note. <laughs> I feel like when are we going to get to the point where things like that don't shock us because we're so used to people being multicultural? Like Maybe. That. I don't know. I think the problem is, again, is because there's so much like prejudice and racism and all these things it's like it's really tricky when someone else is portraying like you know it's I don't know I don't know but I definitely know that I find myself in strange situations not I bet and the faces on my improv teammates when that happens like when we're rehearsing it's fine but when we're on stage they're like gulp yeah <laughs> I wonder what people's reactions are when I suddenly come out with an Indian accent. Like, is it expected? I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> I do often get laughter and, you know, people finding it funny, I think, just because maybe you don't expect it coming out of my mouth. Yeah. But, oh, you know, this this is not exactly related to what you just said, but just in regards to being mixed and the last couple of weeks, obviously covering people like Merle Oberon and Rita Hayworth, especially, like how they decided that they wanted to market her in a different way. I remember coming to LA and having meetings with managers and having a meeting with this one particular manager who was really quite scary and intimidating. And as I as I was sitting opposite her, I mean, she wasn't really listening to anything I was saying, but she just suddenly <laughs> went, <laughs> you know the one. She just suddenly was like, 
Right. So, so we'll market you as um, being Spanish and Indian. That's what we'll do because diversity is really in. And, you know, it wasn't even like a question to how I felt about it. It was just like, that was what was going to happen. Did she mean like, we'll market you like Barcelona and Punjab? Yeah, Barcelona and Punjab. <laughs> that's a that's a callback to, <laughs> to the last episode we did about Lena Horne, if you haven't had a chance to listen. You know, after doing this podcast, I just, yeah, I wouldn't feel the same anymore because I want to be me and be the truth of that. Not like tailor myself to what someone thinks is good marketing when it's not the truth. I mean, there's a lot of them. Um... It's complicated, again, because uh, the industry we chose to work in and make a living off of, yeah, is constantly sort of putting us to the test. Like, what yes. are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? And I feel like just you just said the word test. Another test was when I was doing Hollyoaks. And I remember the character that I was going up for was not Indian. Her name was Kylie. <laughs> and then when I got it, they were like, we're going to change her name to Nita. <laughs> Nita Kaur, right? And they were like, we're going to have a big Bollywood wedding and um, you know, dress you up in the the big red Indian outfit, and we're going to put henna on your hands and all of this stuff. And the boss was really, really excited about this. And I remember sitting in the makeup chair really early in the morning, and then putting the headscarf on my hair and, and asking me, "Is this right? Is this how it is? You know, should all the hair be covered or not, or not all of it?" Mm -hmm. And I was like, "I literally don't know." And I'm not saying that this is unique to being mixed because, you know, maybe a fully Indian person wouldn't know either. But I, I just felt so much responsibility to get it right. Yeah. And so, you know, I was I was Googling it. I was trying to message my cousins. I was trying to go back in time on my iPhone to like scroll past the pictures to see how my cousins had their headscarves when they got married. I just, I remember feeling pressure. Mm, yeah, for sure. Sounds like you need to learn how to put on headscarves and hijabs and I need to steer clear of rice pots. Rice pots. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything will be fine. That's right. What was it like for you? Did you, I know we asked this question to someone in, in one of the episodes. Did you ever have any representation of you in the media? I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now because I know you said that some people would liken you to and I'm not saying this to is Lucy representation Lou. of you this is not yeah but they would be like oh you're like you're like Lucy Lou yeah but that was later on that was like the end of high school I think when um that film came out what was it Charlie's Angels yeah can I tell you that the person they likened me to out of that was Drew Barrymore what I know that's so well, it's because I didn't have blonde hair. I didn't look like Lucy Lou, so therefore I was the other person. I would have given you Lucy Lou. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap question, really. You don't fall into the boxes, Amy, of Sorry. the Charlie's Angels. Yeah, there is no box for you again. <laughs> so what was there anyone that you... No, I just remember, I'm trying to think like what was on TV back then. Because I, I wasn't watching that much to begin with. Mm. But I think I did definitely relate a little bit more to the brunettes. Anytime I saw a brunette, I was like, oh my gosh, a brunette. Because all the leads were always blonde back then. Yeah. So anytime there was a brunette or a redhead, it was kind of a big deal. 
Mm. Um, I remember Xena. She wasn't like your typical Xena, oh, yes. the princess warrior. I yes. loved her. And she was great. She was this big, strong, fierce brunette. I admired her. I thought she was so cool. Yes, I remember her. And then there was Lois Lane, who also had yes. brunette hair. I remember actually they had like this other series called Smallville, which is was off of Lois Lane and Superman. And the lady that was playing Lois in this series was uh, Kristen Kruick. I hope I'm saying her name right. And she's mixed, actually. I was thinking, hmm, we should have her on the show. Um, yeah. But I just remember going, oh, my gosh, she's Asian. And she looks she looked mixed to me as well, watching that. And I thought that was so cool to see um, oh, to yes. see her in a leading role. Now I know who you mean. Yeah, that, her face has just popped into my head. Yeah, that was really cool to see that. I specifically remember my entire Indian family getting really excited when the most famous children's show called Blue Peter at the time, uh, which was a show on BBC every single day at 5.30 for kids, they employed a presenter called Connie. I don't know her second name. Connie, who was, um, I think she's Sri Lankan or, or of South Asian descent anyway, and it was this big thing, like, oh, my God, there's a Blue Peter presenter who looks like us. So, you know, it was really sort of blowing up in my family. She didn't really represent me, but I remember being excited because the rest of my family were, were excited. And it was just, you know, someone of that yeah. group who was on television. But I don't really recall any kind of representation of being mixed I just took it for what it was. I was like, oh, this is what's on TV. It never occurred to me growing up like, oh, I'm not represented up there. Yeah, me too. Looking it was back, only later when I moved to the States and I was like, oh, OK, actually we can have say. And there's a reason why only those people are featured. But growing up, I was like, oh, that's just what's on TV. And yeah, that's just how it is. I never sat in my room, you know, and was like, nobody looks like me. Yeah, I mean... Same here. I didn't really sort of have those conscious thoughts. It's just looking back now, I find it interesting that, yeah, it just wasn't there. But yeah, when I when I see now, when I see like Sandra Oh, it does do something and it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. where have we been? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, growing up, I just accepted this is reality and I, I didn't question it growing up. I think I still get excited to hear of mixed people especially people who are when they're mixtures of South Asian origin as well. Like, for example, when um, when Kamala Harris became the vice president, I was I was so excited that part of her mix is of South Asian origin. And I mean, she doesn't really talk about that, I don't think. But, you know, for, for me, I yeah, that's an example of me still getting excited when I yeah. hear of mixed people. You know, I don't feel that strongly about like, are they mixed or are they not mixed? It's more that I just want to see diversity. Yeah. I would. I think I get would get more excited about a mixed story versus an actor playing just yeah. random character. Yeah. But if they're telling a story about a mixed person, I think that's what would get me excited. Yeah, and also bringing that into the storyline, them balancing these worlds would be exciting yeah yeah that's what I mean yeah that would be very exciting okay um well we've we're we're wrapping up this 
mixed actors in the industry series. Um, we maybe we should do a little like overview of kind of some of the things we touched upon over the the past few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to sum it all up. Yeah, and the, some of the things that we've learned. Okay. So speaking of diversity, we talked about diversity or lack thereof in the industry, past and present. We talked about fitting into casting dynamics as a white passing person or as a mixed race actor. Um, We asked the questions, should castings be based off of biology or appearance? Can mixed people play monoracial roles and vice versa? We also discussed colorism. We talked about instances of whitewashing in Hollywood films and emotional considerations around acting and accents from our different cultural backgrounds. We talked about the stereotypical ideas that can often shape casting decisions and therefore create challenges for individuals with mixed ethnicities. We talked about how the industry can lack nuance and understanding of people of diverse backgrounds and sometimes lump together um, different ethnic groups. And we talked about the portrayal of families on TV these days and how we're seeing many more mixed families on screen. We also talked about inauthentic representation and how unregulated AI could amplify Hollywood's diversity and representation issues, as well as the essentiality of genuine representation and the pitfalls of approved, quote unquote, tailored looks, especially when it comes to mixed race people and people of color, for example, with people creating avatars using AI, if there's no rules around it. We discuss diverse avatars versus actual diverse workforce and whether this is morally right, as well as cultural ethics, because there is a fine line between representation and cultural appropriation in AI. We had discussions about the pressures mixed actors have faced in the past to conform to certain names or identities. We went back to Hollywood's golden era and we explored the incredible lives of mixed actresses Mel Oberon, Rita Hayworth and then Lena Horne and Freddie Washington and the landscape that they were working in i.e. the Hays Code and its rules about showing the mixing of races on screen. We usually like to end with a quote, and we thought, since we're wrapping up mixed actors in the industry, why don't we read The Actor's Vow, written by Ilya Kazan? Initially, we were like, is this too cheesy? But then when we went back and reread it, it, it actually felt so relevant to us mixed people that are figuring out who we are and owning who we are. So um, shall we read it? Yeah. I will take my rightful place on the stage and I will be myself. I am not a cosmic orphan. I have no reason to be timid. I will respond as I feel, awkwardly, vulgarly, but respond. I will have my throat open. I will have my heart open. I will be vulnerable. I may have anything or everything the world has to offer, but the thing I need most and want most is to be myself. I will admit rejection, admit pain, admit frustration, admit even pettiness, admit shame, admit outrage, admit anything and everything that happens to me. The best and most human parts of me are those that I have inhabited and hidden from the world. I will work on it. I will raise my voice. I will be heard. This was so fun. Yeah. This series. 
honestly, we learned so much. And thank you to all of our guests for coming on. Yes. And just being so open and honest about their experiences as well, because it's not it's not easy to do, is it? No, no. Thank you so much. Well, on that note, thank you for being here with us. We have, I think, two more episodes before we wrap up this season one. So stay tuned. Um, if you liked this episode, please follow us. Please subscribe. Please like, rate, leave us a review. Have you left us a review yet? Do not underestimate the power of your review, even if it's three words. Yeah, and every word seriously means so much to us and it's just such inspiration to carry on with what we're doing and keep those messages coming as well because we read absolutely everything, don't we? We do. Thank you so much to those of you have, who have written to us. Um, we encourage you to write to us and actually um, we're going to be bringing this up again over the next few episodes as we wrap season one, but... Uh, we're already kind of getting season two started a little bit and um, we're going to be delving into a lot of aspects around being mixed and, and family dynamics and dating and marriage and and transracial adoption and raising mixed kids and all these things. If you have a story that relates to this, we'd love to hear from you. And if you want your story to be included in our next season like please include that in your message as well um because we're yeah we're trying to build a community here and we want you guys to be a part of it yeah we really do we definitely want to include you as well okay have a wonderful week bye bye this episode was produced by us music by matthias kunsley <laughs>